Welcome to Lay of the Brand, where we talk with the experts on tech marketing, creative, and PR to learn what's new, what's working, and what's next. I'm Peter Jacobs of Merit Group, and in this, the second of two parts, we're picking up the conversation from the webinar, Sales and Marketing Strategies for Getting Back to Business. In part one, our panel of experts gave us their perspectives on messages and content, measurement, and budget priorities, as well as aligning with sales and the rest of the C-suite in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Now our experts, Rushmi Vital of Conversica, Russ Cobb of IronNet Cybersecurity, and Matt Selheimer of PAS Global, not only provide more insights on realigning marketing resources, they give actionable recommendations you can apply today as we continue to navigate the changing environment. They also answer questions from the live audience. And by the way, if you have a question based on the discussion, feel free to contact us. We'll be happy to provide answers and recommendations. Now let's listen to the conversations, starting with Rushmi and her perspective on the alignment between sales and marketing. The alignment across, I mean, definitely between sales and marketing in terms of determining how to go after new markets and 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 kind of re actually rethink about the market, right? Really kind of understand what's the pulse and and making sure we're not wasting our time on on segments that are just going to be not ready, right? And and so that's one. I think I, I love the comments both from Russ and Matt uh, Russ around the daily standup between product uh, CRO and 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 the CMO, and as well as for, for Matt, just thinking about you know what now in in their clients' time of need could we fulfill today that our products can do? And I and, and I think for for our perspective, um, you know, right now there are lots of companies whose workforces have been impacted. And, and usually when these happen, marketing and sales are affected. And so to be able to quickly ramp that up with human capital when recovery happens is not gonna be entirely possible. Uh, and so how can you think about new strategies and innovations around using AI powered solutions to augment your sales or marketing teams so that they could quickly just kind of get up to speed when that time comes. And so this is exactly what, you know, we're having dialogues with our customers who see the value of investing now in intelligent virtual assistants because they recognize that either a couple of things are happening. They just don't have the sales capacity. Um, and so they're unable to do the due diligence required on the lead follow-up to drive that engagement and ultimately contribute to the pipeline. And so if an intelligent virtual assistant can help you do that, more power to you. And then, then you're prepared now for when that recovery comes and now you're coming into a different form of sales, uh, sales capacity issue, which is um, now my demand is greater than my sales ability to follow up on it, which is, uh, you know, which is something we're all going to welcome again when that comes back. And so... So investing now in these types of new normal, kind of what, if you think about what the new normal is going to be, and if you're a forward looking organization, you've got to start thinking about what is my new normal to me and how can I make sure that I'm just not reverting back to old strategies to try and handle this new normal. You have to think more innovatively and you have to, uh, you, you have to expand kind of your playbooks 
to encompass new solutions that can help you kind of achieve those those goals. And so that's that's the type of uh, alignment we're having internally in just saying, okay, how can we get this message out better? And how can we demonstrate this for our customers? And something really just a, just an interesting tip, uh, you know, kind of data point that we have is that, you know, in the past 60 days, um, our, our intelligent virtual assistants have actually increased the hot lead rate, like how many leads are actually interested in talking to sales by 15%. So you would think now is a time of decline, but in fact, our intelligent virtual assistants have been finding 15% more opportunities in the past 60 days. And that's something where it's kind of like, I want to just tell people like, don't give up, like don't write off this quarter, don't do what you can to mitigate exposure and then be prepared for when you're ready to start that recovery phase. Well, let's follow up on this theme of aligning resources, marketing aligning with sales, your customers realigning what's going to go on within their organizations. And let me ask about realigning within your organizations. So Rushmi, continue with that. And how is the marketing organization going to change or how has it been changing and what do you see going to happen? Well, we, we've been, we've, we've changed quite a bit. I mean, as I, as uh, first, first off, like we've we recognize that we can't. I mean, there's there's a certain amount of you have to do more with less. But at the same time, what, a couple of things that we're doing. One is uh, we're definitely reevaluating our investments, uh, and we have we've cut any discretionary spend that is unnecessary. We've consolidated our marketing tech stack. We'll continue to evaluate that. Um, at the same time, it doesn't mean that we're not investing in things that we need to help progress again, the contribution to pipeline that, that we're looking at. So, so that's happening. I think on our digital investments, we have to have a very data-driven approach and make sure that we're maximizing the return on our investments. Um, and, and in this case, you know, we're lucky we get to eat our own dog food in the sense that um, we can use our own tools to our own product to help drive that um, kind of that return to determine whether we're getting that return on investment. Um, I think the other thing too is uh, we are actually doing good housekeeping in the sense that we looked at over 3,500 contacts that were uh, that hadn't been touched in in 2020, but had but met our kind of kind of key demographic criteria for within our ICP, and we had our um, intelligent virtual assistants go against them, and we are finding active engagement and opportunity because maybe they weren't in market six months ago, but now they're considering being in market. Again, given the impact that they had, they could have gone through a workforce reduction. They don't think that they can, they can uh, uh, kind of recalibrate that with with um, human capital. And so they're trying to find ways of using technology to help kind of fill that gap. Um, and so and so for us as well, like we're we're definitely doing that good housekeeping because for us we think about it and say there can be no stone left unturned and we have to help drive that more advisory consul consultative approach with the people when we actually get them live uh with, with um you know getting that human to human interaction and so uh for, for us it's 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 that i think with 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 sales it's working with them very closely to make sure that they can shift their message to be more um uh, to, to be to deliver more value in their conversation and, and whether that's using other uh, customer examples as a way to say, hey, 
I know you could be kind of, it, it could be a little treacherous right now, but let me explain to you how so-and-so is, how they're coping through this and what they're thinking about, because they're a lot like you, right? And so using those customer examples in the, in the, in the sales conversation is, is really critical, the, the, that storytelling. Uh, and, then, and then assuring them, like what was said, what we just talked about earlier, don't come across as salesy, just really come across as, I want to really understand your pain because I get you're going through, through something painful and I want to know how we can potentially help you, uh, you know, come out better on, on the other side of it. Matt, how's the realignment looking at PAS? Yeah, so let me uh, respond to that from a tactics standpoint and then from a team people standpoint. From a tactics standpoint, uh, we are, like Rashmi said, taking a, a really good look, hard look at where are, we are investing our dollars and reevaluating you know, how we make you know, decisions for investment and demand generation program. So I'll give you two examples. So one quick example would be around a third party white paper that we're looking at sponsoring. Um, there's a branding value associated with that sponsorship, but I'm making sure that that decision to sponsor that is based on hitting the appropriate cost per lead target and the expectations around the number of leads in our particular target market that we're going to generate from that. I'm not going to make that decision based off of the branding opportunity or have the branding opportunity over influence it if I can't hit my CPL and my lead generation target. Another example would be around webinars um, where, you know, I can go out and hire an analyst uh, to record a webinar, uh, but then, uh, you know, I'm going to have to pay uh, for that analyst time. Uh, and then I've got to drive the, the demand around that. Um, that's, that's a, you know, fairly, you know, more expensive, you know, proposition than if I can do a webinar with a customer or I can do a webinar with a thought leader that we have internally. Uh, so I'm spending less resources than I probably would have investing in, you know, third party, uh, webinars with third party speakers, because I'm trying to you know, maximize uh, the demand generation you know, dollars that I have. And of course, it's always better to have a customer you know, tell a story uh, whenever, whenever you can. Speaking of people, um, as Rashmi said, you know, there's some good housekeeping that we can all be doing, and we're doing our fair share of that as well. Um, we've got some available bandwidth from some of the people that would support physical events that can help be used. Uh, typically, your events team are very detail-oriented people, uh, and you can train them up on marketing operations activities, database management activities uh, pretty quickly if they have the right attention to detail. And, and I think people are motivated right now to want to wanna, you know, do good work and, and stay gainfully employed. So we've had some success in being able to redeploy uh, some of the folks in the team to working on database health, database cleansing, um, sourcing of net new contacts and target accounts, getting those into our database, um, and also uh, running what I call mini campaigns. Uh, so as I mentioned earlier, uh, we're trying to run you know, some, some programs to gather data in more near real-time basis. So we're running some mini campaigns, uh, kind of think of them as mini nurture streams around key topics that we think um, have a high likelihood of producing quicker pipeline um, and putting those in market quickly uh, so we can test them and see if those hypotheses bear out. So it's a combination of tactical and people allocation adjustment from my standpoint. Yeah. Russ, how is it working for you? Yeah, so um, I've had a great, uh, great examples given by both Rashmi and, and Matt. Um, so I won't, I'll try not to repeat anything they said, but, but 
I look at it in three kind of dimensions, right? What do I do with spend, operating spend, discretionary spend? Uh, what do we do with our team, our human capital? And then what do we do with our time? And so if I start with the spend part, um, you know, we're, we like to think of ourselves as marketing leaders, right? We don't call ourselves marketing followers. Uh, and so I think that uh, you, you have to lean into that sometimes with your CFO, particularly in times like these. So uh, I think we were having a chat before we started the webinar today and we were kind of laughing about, the, you know, chagrinning laughing uh, about, you know, everyone making the rounds and you have to give your pound of flesh for, uh, for budget reduction. So I, I proactively, um, you know, went to our CFO and basically just said, look, um, I, I do treat budget as my maximum spend level. Um, I don't have to spend it. And so I want you to recognize that's my ceiling. And in these times, I'm not going to spend my ceiling just like I don't do that in my, my personal finances. Um, so I'm really proactive in communicating that. And then I, I, I help him understand, here's how I'm evaluating each spend. And I'm probably paying, not probably, I am paying a lot more attention than I was probably six weeks ago, eight weeks ago to every material spent. So I look at every one and then I try to use kind of time horizons, uh, zero to three months impact and the measures that go with that is getting 50 to 60% of funding. Three to six months is getting most of the rest, six months out. And Matt loved your example about, you know, white paper doing something, sponsoring things that are brand related. We can't lose sight of that, but we have to be really diligent about what kind of money we spend on that in terms of writing a check. Um, the human capital component, uh, I love what Matt said So I, about cross-training and get people doing different things, so I won't repeat that. Uh, that that third dimension being time, again, it starts with uh, that five o'clock sink every day, it feels like, of making sure that our three parts of the organization are moving in tandem. And then uh, we're constantly making decisions, setting priorities, and then if we need to reset priorities, we're all trying to balance our organization's time efforts against those priorities. And, uh, you know, Rashmi, your point a couple of minutes ago, when I said April feels like it was a really long month, but in reality, it was changing constantly and every day had the same number of hours in it. And so I think we're just trying to be much more judicious about where we focus people's time. Well, it's time now for my favorite part of the program, lightning round. <laughs> Quick questions, quick answers, and we're looking for something actionable. So let's start off with do's and don'ts. And we've talked about it several so far. But give us one thing that you believe brands should, should do in this time and one thing they shouldn't do. Rashmi, let's start with you. Oh, boy. Uh, I, I think uh, what they should do is be boldly pragmatic. Right. Um, so, yes, everything that you're going to do is going to have a level of pragmatism to it based on the current time. And you're also not a crystal ball reader. But at the same time, you've got to still be a little bit bold in how you're going to pursue the market in front of you and, 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 and what you can potentially do in, in 2020. So I would say conservatism to a certain level. Um, yeah. I would all, it, it, everything also depends on your industry and who you market to and what you offer, but you have to take a real look and say, I, can I be pragmatically bold right now and, and make sure that I'm, I'm prepared for a recovery that has to come, that will come um, over time and what that would look like 
for you. Uh, don't do, I would say, and this might be a little tongue in cheek, but as you shift to digital only strategies and you look at virtual events and signing up for them, you know, um, even if that organization has spent years just honing in and they've spent years honing in their physical event to deliver on a great experience and now they've shifted to a virtual event, you know, the key indicator of that virtual event is the platform you're on and using. Yeah. And uh, what we're quickly finding is that not all platforms are created equal. There will be platform winners in being able to deliver virtual events and platform losers. And, uh, and at the end of the day, the thing that we always hear is that customer experience will always beat product or price. Well, customer experience on a virtual event is, is big. And uh, I'm seeing some, some misses when it comes to delivering on that good experience on a virtual event. So really, really ask that extra questions of the, of the organizers of that virtual event and, and get a test drive to see what they have in, in store before you, you sponsor it. Right. Russ, what's a quick uh, thing you a brand should do and something they shouldn't? Uh, so since it's on the brand level, um, you should show heart in a very authentic way, um, meaning uh, have that empathy for your customers, um, listen to them, help them understand where, they, where their actual needs are and help meet them where they are. Uh, but do so in a way that's consistent with who you are and what you represent as a company. So definitely show heart. Uh, don't try to get credit for showing heart. And uh, I've seen, you know, whether it's on LinkedIn feeds or some things where there, there's a lot of uh, amplification of uh, a company or the leader of a company uh, for just doing what's right. Uh, and so I'd say, you know, Show heart, uh, have that empathy consistent with your brand, and then don't try to get credit for it because uh, at the end of the day, we're people first, and, and that's what we should be showing right now, not trying to get credit for it from a marketing and selling perspective. Matt, how about you? I'm going to try and do two quick do's and two quick don'ts. Uh, so the first do uh, is content. Uh, Russ alluded to this, mentioned this earlier. Um, content is the engine of a successful marketing organization. So you got to keep producing good quality content, but make sure it's relevant to your buyer's needs and challenges right now. The other do uh, is to take advantage of this current situation from the perspective of thinking of this as an opportunity, not just as something to respond to, but something to try and pursue as an opportunity. I think one of the, the greatest business leaders we've had over the, the course of the last several decades was Andy Grove from Intel. There's a famous Andy Grove quote about mm -hmm. companies in crises, right? He says, bad companies are destroyed by crises. Good companies survive them. Great companies are improved by them. So really try and take that to heart as a do. In terms of two don'ts, um, number one, um, don't take your existing marketing content and slap a in these uncertain times message in front of it. Uh, that will come across as very inauthentic. I can't tell you how many emails I've gotten uh, from vendors trying to, to sell me products and services that start that way and just immediately turn me off. And then the other don't is don't do whatever sales asks of you. Uh, to the earlier conversation, the relationship between marketing and sales should be a collaborative relationship. Uh, don't allow yourself to be put in the position of just responding to what sales is asking for. You know, when they say jump, you say how high. Don't do that. Could we also agree not to use the term new normal anymore? <laughs> I'm trying not to use that phrase. 
<laughs> oh, you're gonna see it a lot from us because we, we actually can't do something about it. So. <laughs> All right, let's open up the floor to Q&A. Please feel free to keep answering the survey questions. The first question we have is actually related to something you brought up, Rashmi. Uh, have you been sponsoring more remote events and what were the results? And is it worth the investment though? Obviously this can include those virtual trade shows that, uh, that you had brought up, but also any other kind of remote event. Russ? Yeah, so um, we are, we've been doing uh, webinars. It was the first time we did webinars on a platform. So it's one of the two best known platforms. Um, we're doing those. I think the return on those has been uh, pretty good. I would say it, it's uh, highly, highly correlated with the content and the presenters. Um, that said, it's, it's tough to cut through the noise out there because there are a lot of webinars. I probably get 20 emails a day asking me to jump on a webinar and view it. Uh, what we have found maybe even more effective is what we call virtual summits. Uh, summit may be too grand of, of a word because it's not that many uh, people, uh, but we'll try to get 10 to 15 customers and prospects around the table. We use Zoom as a platform for that, where we have at most a 45 to 60 minute dialogue about uh, what's happening with them right now. Uh, it's not a uh, it's not a marketing pitch, not a sales pitch. It's literally sitting around the table having the discussion, similar to how you might have structured uh, a physical event, a little roundtable dinner kind of thing. Uh, and so we're finding that there's good response rate on those as well, because again, it gets back to you're bringing people together, you're trying to understand where they are and how you can help, uh, and it's not uh, a push of a sales cycle. Uh, so those are probably the two virtual things. Um, I, I did uh, one physical conference that we were participating in, they switched to virtual, we participated in that. Um, I thought the results were disappointing. Uh, so, so to kind of underscore Rashmi's point, just make sure that if there's a, used to, if the company's used to doing physical things, that they can actually do it in a virtual uh, world with the same productivity. Matt, how about you? Yeah, so um, you know our audience uh, on the IT side is is more accustomed to things like virtual events. Um, we do have some IT audience as part of our um, personas that we market and sell to, but the majority of our target personas are really on the operational side of the house, and they are um, not as inclined to some of those kinds of you know virtual trade shows and things like that. So we've been taking a more tentative approach to that, um, evaluating some opportunities there, uh, but haven't jumped on any of those uh, for right now. Uh, what we are doing, though, is we are doing uh, more on-demand webinars. I'm a huge believer in on-demand versus live webinars for a variety of reasons. Um, I believe that we live in an on-demand world. People want content when they want it. They don't want to wait for a future date uh, to sign up for something. Um, so I know we're doing this as a live webinar, uh, but uh, generally, you know, my preference is uh, on-demand by default, uh, straight to Blu-ray, straight to DVD, if you will, or straight to streaming. Um, and I think that uh, as marketers, that gives us an opportunity to create a variety of different uh, topics um, that we can uh, be able to to put out there to our um, contacts and and see you know what they're interested in what they're what they're engaging in do A/B testing and and those sorts of things so we're taking a more tentative approach to virtual events but we've ramped up our on demand webinar volume significantly. Rushmi, will events come back? Physical. 
absolutely. Do you believe uh, we're going to see that kind of uh, that that kind of gathering again in the near term? Oh, not in the near term. No, not for the remainder of 2020. And and frankly, I would say until we actually have a treatment or a vaccine for this um, for this disease, uh, you're not going to see a, a large gatherings um, like that like we had in the past. So I do think being innovative, whether it's on-demand webinars, webinars, uh, I love, you know, you know, Russ's idea of the round tables, virtual round tables are great. I also, we're seeing things like, um, we're seeing things like just doing podcasts, like getting people, uh, you know, getting people to talk very informally in, you know, in their living room or whatever about a topic that they care about, uh, and then putting that out as quick bite-sized content consumption um, for for teams on on a very obviously relevant topic, and so. So it's just creating fun for our target audience, right? We sell to marketing and sales leaders. So it's creating fun, bite-sized, consumable uh, pieces and, and that, that you know, people would be interested in hearing. And also, uh, you know, just sweat equity. I mean, it doesn't take much for for uh, the experts on our team to lend themselves to other people's webinars. So um, other people's webinars, other people's podcasts, whatever it might be. So I, I'm finding that for us, just, just you know, renting myself out as much as I possibly can, 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 also, can also help spread, um, kind of spread the word and, and, and get, get new insights out there. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Russ. Yeah, sorry. It, uh, something uh, Rashmi said uh, triggered a thought. It's a bit orthogonal, but maybe still helpful. Um, we are, so we're a venture funded company. Um, one of the things that I started, it was right before our big security event, right before RSA, uh, created with one of the VC firms. It's got 18 other investments, all in the cybersecurity space, all basically not competing in the same product markets. Uh, we started a marketing tribe. Uh, and so we have a phone call every other week and we share best practices, but we also cross promote each other's uh, posting, social activity, webinars, et cetera. Um, tomorrow is, it happens to be our next, uh, our next biweekly call. And uh, the topic is, can we do demand generation activities, specific demand generation activities jointly? And so that's another way we're trying to stretch out uh, marketing dollars, but also get creative in terms of uh, how we leverage the, you know, the other companies that are in our networks. Peter, I see a question on the Q&A that I imagine might be on some people's minds, um, and it's very pointed. What do you say to the CFO or CEO who demands, just stop marketing, we can't afford it right now? My response to that question would be, bring them data. Go to them with data that shows where opportunities started with marketing leads and the channels that those leads uh, either originated from or the channels where they were they touched uh, those leads as they moved from being a, a, a top of funnel lead to to an opportunity. And if you can't convince them with data, uh, go look for another place to work. Uh, because uh, if that's the attitude, uh, they don't believe in marketing and you're not going to have a successful career as a marketer uh, working for a, an organization where you know, they don't believe in the, in the value of marketing. Well, if you can't convince them with data, then you know, it's time to move on. And that's part two of the conversation from our webinar, Sales and Marketing Strategies for Getting Back to Business. If you haven't already, be sure to listen to part one for more information that can help you keep your brand moving forward during these uncertain times. Also, if you have questions about the discussion, 
please reach out to us and we'll provide answers and recommendations. Lay of the Brand is brought to you by Merit Group, an integrated strategic communications firm that blends the best of PR, digital marketing, and creative to help our clients tell their stories and build business. Got a topic suggestion or want to share feedback? Subscribe to Lay of the Brand on your preferred listening platform and leave us a review. And please spread the word and tell your friends and colleagues to tune in as well. To learn more about Merit Group, check out layofthebrand.com 